right. free for all. Yeah. So I don't know how to, how did you guys want to start this? <laughs> well, we, we, we decided to get to talk about this, the symbolism of the moon, I thought, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. George McDonald's stories. Um, I don't know, Luke, have you read Lilith or just Fantasties? I've just read Fantasties. Okay. So we the... limited. I mean, it, I think the symbolism, I did some digging. I'm, I'm just like, a, you know, Nancy. Yeah. Nancy Drew. <laughs> That's good. Jeff bloodhound. <laughs> so, so I was I was doing some digging on uh, on some of it, and it's super interesting, actually. Um, yeah. So, but we can limit it to fantasties. Well, don't limit it for my sake. If there's uh, stuff that you guys want to go go for it shoot for it because i i um shoot for the moon uh, <laughs> we need more of those keep those coming <laughs> but uh, yeah i don't i don't know if i will have uh you know if any input that i do have it'll probably just be you know whatever my intuition is bringing me in the moment because i i even my i feel like i've got a thin grasp of fantastic fantastic and i'm not even sure if i remember all the the moon stuff yeah moon stuff in there i think there's so much in fantasies uh, yeah. yeah is there i don't i don't remember um because we're reading it again right now and we're in the very beginnings of it and then i was listening to lilith uh trying to listen to it in preparation of this and then i didn't even go through much yeah. of fantasies again but yeah there is some moon symbolism in 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 fantasies, but it's not as heavy as Lilith. Okay. Okay. And um, it's interesting because um, I read a I read a um, uh, a quote or like a commentary from George McDonald's son Greville, and about Lil Lilith and fantasies. So he wrote fantasies kind of in the very beginning um of his writing career and then he ended with Lilith and there are a lot of um uh, what's the word there's a lot of mirroring happening between the two stories so you should really read Lilith Luke like you, okay. you would yeah yeah if you love fantasies like Lilith will be will be um so I like really how Luke Thompson described, I think the first time I ever heard anybody talk about Lilith, it was him. And all he said was, yeah. it's a trip. And I was like, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's a trip for sure. Yeah. Go on a ride. Oh, it, it's so yeah. good though. It is. I've, yeah. I hear there's another one is the golden key. It sounds like maybe it's that good. overlaps as well with some of the same themes. Mm -hmm. Donald too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm open to suggestions. So, yeah, all his stuff is great. I, yeah, it's really good. And Cherry's uh, familiar, I think, more familiar than I am with the, is it the, the double story or the wise woman or what? Is, I can't remember mm -hmm. what it's called. Yeah, and that one's really good one. as well. Yeah, he's got wise he's got woman. a lot of short stories that are really good that that do have overlapping themes or whole. Yeah. Have yeah. Similar them symbolism, but. Yeah. Yeah, so I was meant. Talking about the wise woman um, 
in one of our grail country conversations and michael martin was there and he said just call her sophia okay <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah. like okay i'll just call her that <laughs> yeah. that's what she is so yeah. what did some of your uh, research it was when you were digging what did you nancy drew <laughs> Well, I, before I, before I, you know, lay bare the facts, okay, <laughs> not the uh, facts, the other people's opinions, really. Um, I was just, let's, let, let's just fly by the seat of our pants. Like, okay, that's fun. And then we can compare <laughs> notes after, you yeah. know, with some of the stuff that I came up with. Um, and it wasn't, it's not a lot really, um, but there's a lot of uh, food for thought in what I, in what I um, did find. So, yeah. So like, what are you, what are you, what comes to your mind, Jason, when, when you're thinking about George, George's use of the moon? Yeah. His, if we're looking at his use of the moon um, in particular, I'm not, uh, I'm not, it's, it's, he, I'm not quite sure because he, he always does that with symbolism. Like he'll, he'll have, like with the same thing with the shadow where you kind of want to pin it down and say it's this and then as soon as you try to do that it eludes you and it's like so he kind of mm -hmm. seems like the moon does that a little bit but when I was uh, I made like some notes and I was going to try to get a read back through them but I didn't really get a chance but I put that um yeah I'm not sure that it's symbolized like the moon actually symbolizes anything in particular for him but he rather uses the the moon as a symbol for many different things and I think he just kind of uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's like, it's like, it's just the, the lesser light to rule the night sort of thing. Um, so it covers a, seems to cover a broad spectrum, but then I don't know if that's too broad, but that's my understanding of it. So it includes like, uh, and I don't know this is just related to George MacDonald, but my thoughts about the moon would be that it includes, uh, intuition, um, inner thought, subconscious thought, like solar thought is conscious, like it's very clear. You have a lot, you can see better outlines, details, and it's like more inner thought, stuff like that. Um, instinct as well. Like when you have like werewolves or full moon and stuff like that. And then, um, I don't know, there's just a lot that goes um, in with mm -hmm. it. And I, yeah, and I, it's, I, I'm not really sure about George MacDonald in particular, because I, I don't know that I ever really studied the moon. I just like had a, a short phase where I was on a fast and it was just like, you know, I guess you would call it synchronous. I don't know what you'd call it, but it was popping up all over. And I, I'd, yeah, it's just, uh, it's more like communion, I guess, with the moon. I would lay out every night and look at it and just be like, when I yeah. started calling it her and I'm like, okay, now my, my family's going to think I'm weird. <laughs> like, oh, there she is. But yeah. But uh, well, that's interesting because technically the moon is feminine symbolically speaking the sun is masculine and for the same reasons that you mentioned like because the, with the sun everything is clearly defined right mm -hmm. you can see it all whereas with the moon it's um veiled something mm -hmm. like that yeah which makes yeah. It, which makes it a feminine symbol um even for like astrologers and you know yeah all that, right so she is the moon. The moon yeah. is she. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you just kind of get that sense. It's kind of weird because you have, it seems like you kind of just kind of have that intuition. And it's like mm -hmm. the moon just tells you that she's feminine if you pay attention to her. It's really strange. And I was even thinking about 
narratively I wrote a note and I was just thinking about if I was writing my own story and I had a character go into a cave or into like under the water or something I was like it wouldn't be absurd to me that they might find a moon there for some reason but if they found a sun like they would never find a sun in the cave or the cave would just disappear or something like it just wouldn't I don't know why it just doesn't work in my head and so it's just kind of that that yeah that light in the dark in the darkness I guess the the subconscious or something the the dream world but in Lilith particular I'm not sure about Fantasies as well but it seems like because I was writing a note let's see I wrote a note here because it it comes up when he goes to the this one house I'm not sure if he kind of relates the moon also because it's related to dream kind of this dream world uh because it's at night when you're sleeping and so then I don't know if he also George McDonald kind of runs a thread through death as well and because it's rest and sleep and all those things kind of are woven together I it's hard for me to tell I don't I don't want to make that claim like I said I put my finger on it and then it just gets away but yeah I don't know what are your yeah. thoughts you guys on on his use of the moon <laughs> go Luke. Uh, well <laughs> talking about the that contrast kind of between the masculine and, and feminine in particular uh talking about the moon and I don't think this is any sort of insight on what what George may be how George might be using the moon um but I was immediately thinking of like the I don't know the reflection and how the moon is this body that reflects the sun. So there's a bit of like, there's a bit of the sun in the moon or what have you. So like the, in, in, and then I was thinking of immediately like Adam, Eve, the rib, Eve being made of Adam and sort of like that, that's that crossover. And if there was any sort of like, I don't know, something that could be said there in regards to, even in the very way that like Adam is not even conscious of himself until Eve sort of like illuminates, like reflects back to him who he is, I guess, in a way. Like, yeah, with the bone of my bones, flesh of my yeah. flesh. Yeah, that's really good, actually. I never even thought of that. That's really good. Yeah, I'm not sure because I I think like that uh, that that very idea that like the the I think this might even be a Jordan Peterson thing. I don't know. I but that whole like I remember somebody saying at some point in the last like three years of my life, like women make men conscious, you know. And so it's like without <laughs> and I I guess I've I in my in my own marriage and i'm not saying the sun and the moon are wedded to each other but in a way they might be but there's this very like reciprocal sort of yeah uh relationship there yes, yes actually so. yeah pretty intuition yeah well to be honest i thought for a whole week and i came up with nothing <laughs> really all right Wow. It's like the moon. Yeah. Nothing. And then <laughs> oh. one more time. The moon. <laughs> 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 
why? What's going on here? Why can't I think of anything? I thought of nothing. Um, I did know that because George calls her in Lilith, her, right? Mm. And, and then there's also this, this connection to water. The moon is connected to water. And, um, and I thought about it in, in relationship to the meditations on the tarot that we're going through, right? Because water is reflective, right? You look into the water and you see your reflection. Yeah. And um, it's also what um, I'm trying to think now, the, the high priestess on the high priestess card, there's water, right? Because it, it, it's indicative of, of the reflection of Gnosis, you know, looking into the water and having that reciprocal feedback, I guess, into yourself. But as far as George's stories, I was just, I was just coming up with the blank because I was kind of like Jason where it's like, it just kept eluding me, right? Like yeah. I get caught up in the moment of what was actually happening. Yeah. And, and, um, and then I would be like, okay, but the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It seems oh, like no, he no. just throws her in there whenever he like, he, he, he collectively has this, it seems to me that he understands her very well, but he'll just throw her in there for like seduction or something in a way, like all of a sudden you see this. Oh, there's a, to me, there's a, go, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, there's a whole part in Lilith where he's accompanied by the moon, right? Yeah. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. I should see if I can find a Lilith quote um, to read. Yeah. <laughs> I would also what Luke? did you did you two stumble because of course i my generic like google search is george mcdonald moon and because you know i'm i'm not coming up with it but like uh he has a poem called the wind and the moon yes i have never read that. read that this week yeah, I actually listened to it. <laughs> I've never heard that. Oh my goodness. This poetry oh, sucks though. It's so bad. <laughs> is it bad? Okay. I think it is. I think I liked the concept because it was like the moon still like kind of just like didn't really shrug at the wind. <sighs> Wait, can you read it? Kind of... Is it long? Can you read it or? Uh, yeah, I could I could read it. I might stumble over it. I mean, we could listen to like a Scottish man read it and it would sound, I guess I am Scottish. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the Wind and the Moon by George MacDonald. Said the wind to the moon, I will blow you out. You stare in the air like a ghost in a chair, always looking at what I am about. I hate to be watched. I'll blow you out. The wind blew hard and the moon and out went the moon. So deep on a heap of clouds to sleep, down lay the wind, a slumbering soon, muttering low, I've done for that moon. He turned to his bed. She was there again on high in the sky with her one ghost eye. The moon shone white and alive and plain, said the wind, I will blow you out. And the wind blew hard and the moon grew dim. 
with my sledge and my wedge, I have knocked off her edge. If only I blew right fierce and grim, the creatures will soon be dimmer than dim. He blew and he blew and he thinned to a thread. One puff, more's enough to blow her to snuff. <laughs> One, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I like this. One reading. good. <laughs> One good puff more where the last was bred and glimmer, glimmer, glum will go the thread. He blew a great blast and the thread was gone. In the air, nowhere was the moonbeam bare. Far off and harmless, the shy star shone. Sure and certain the moon was gone. <laughs> the wind he took to his revels once more. On down in town, like a merry mad clown, he leaped and hollowed with whistle and roar. What's that? The glimmering thread once more. He threw a rage and danced in blue, but in vain was the pain of his bursting brain. For still the, bro the, the broader the moon scrape grew and the broader he swelled his big cheeks and blue. Slowly she grew till she filled the night and shone on her throne in the sky alone, a matchless, wonderful, silvery light, radiant and lovely, the queen of the night. Said the wind, what a marvel of power I am with my breath, good faith, I blew her to death. First blew her away right out of the sky, then blew her in, what strength have I? But the moon, she knew nothing about the affair, for high in the sky, with her one white eye, motionless, miles above the air, she had never heard the great wind blare. Does anybody find that helpful? <laughs> yeah. Does anybody get the, the critique that his poetry sucks? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's like this, I, I swear it's satire. I think he is like, satirically using rhyme scheme to like i don't even know like yeah it does feel, it does feel a little um oh, bursting brain bursting brain <laughs> yeah dude like oh man i here's what it is though the rule i think it shows that the moon still rules over like like here the wind is this powerful force but the moon has this authority that is not bestowed to any sort of like i don't know a force that we might know here on earth it is it is otherworldly in that sense the authority that it, that it has and similar to the to the light it is it's beyond our 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 it has certainly influence over our material world but not necessarily uh, and certainly influence over maybe much more than we can comprehend, but um, yeah, it's also beyond. Yeah. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> well, I found another moon poem that he wrote. Can you believe it? Because no I, I listened to that one and every time I would put in the moon, you know, and George, that the wind and the moon came up, but this one surprised me. So, and it's really short. Um, she comes, again she comes, the bright-eyed moon. Under a ragged cloud I found her out, clasping her own dark orb like hope in doubt. That ragged cloud hath waited her since noon, and he hath found and he will hide her soon. 
Come, all ye little winds that sit without, and blow the shining leaves her edge about, and hold her fast, ye have a pleasant tune. She will forget us in her walks at night among the other worlds that are so fair. She will forget to look on our despair. She will forget to be so young and bright. Nay, gentle moon, thou hast the keys of light. I saw them hanging by thy girdle there. So that was interesting, especially in light of what else I sniffed out today. <laughs> Say more about that. Yeah, I want to hear some more sniffing. Now have the keys of light. So um, let me see. I've got a quote saved because I'm just, I can, you know, it's impossible for me to remember all these things. But I'm going to just read this. This was from a paper that I read um, on the shadow in Fantasties. But, but in this part of the paper, he talks about the moon. And, um, and I actually thought, because the moon, the sun, all the planets and the elements, they all have, um, they're all, um, they come from alchemy, right? So I thought, the first thing I thought of was Burma, Jacob Burma. And I thought, and I know that, um, or I intuited that McDonald would have a relationship to Burma's works which are alchemic in nature, right? And, um, and he did. So it turns out he was well acquainted with Jacob Emma. So if you'll just allow me, it's a little bit of a read, but I'll read it. It's really interesting. I think we could, <laughs> it'll be really fun to talk about. Um, McDonald's romantic roots led him to focus more on moon symbolism. Burma gives symbolic precedence to the sun, the similitude of Christ. While Burma was likely an influence, MacDonald must have encountered other alchemical texts as well. In light of its connection to the black sun, the shadow can be identified with what is known to alchemists as the negredo, the black color representing death, which a substance takes on during transmutation of base matter into the philosopher's stone. In the alchemical tradition, the philosopher's stone can be seen as a substance equivalent to the quintessence that transcends the material elements and thereby has the power to manipulate them. Or as a human being that has completed a process of spiritual regeneration and has become unified in spirit with the divine as in the Gnostic and Hermetic traditions. This process goes through many different stages that vary according to the alchemist or alchemical tradition in question, but a process consisting of at least three main stages of putrefication, coagulation, and sublimation is usually followed. The negredo is part of the process of putrefication or dissolution. This dissolution says trismacin, who I don't know who that is, is nothing but a killing of the moist with the dry. So this, this is now getting into alchemy, but just hang in there. A putrefication and constantly turns, mat, turns the matter black. So it's a killing of the moist with the dry. Uh, the moist in this concept, context can be the spirit in a substance or in humans. The dry can be seen as elemental matter separated from spirit. The negredo then is the result of the separation of spirit from matter, usually seen as, mutual, as mutually present in phenomena. In McDonald's symbolic conception, 
A human under the spell of the Negredo is a disenchanted human, a material human, reminiscent of the scientific naturalism that reigned in Victorian Britain at the time of writing Fantasties. Indeed, we soon see that the shadow has transformed Anodos into a rational materialist from the enchanted young man able to see the spirit in things when he first entered fairyland, symbolized by his ability to see fairies enchanting the flowers. The quote, most dreadful, unquote, part of this development is that soon he begins to welcome the shadow's disenchanting presence. In a land like this, with so many illusions everywhere, I need his aid to disenchant the things around me. This is a quote from uh, Fantasties. He does away with all appearances and shows me things in their true color and form. And if I live in a waste instead of a paradise, I will live knowing where I live. Sounds so nihilistic, doesn't it? Um, so he's talking about the shadow, but he's going to get to the moon, okay? I, I included everything because I, I, uh, it, just, it just leads into it. Um, MacDonald uses the sun to symbolize this disenchanted way of knowing. So the, the shadow is not dependent on Anoto's position in relation to a particular light source. It shows up blacker in the sunlight, the shadow, I guess, while it is not visible by moonlight. In the full light of day, Anotos experiences fairyland as the mechanistic workaday world of industrial Britain. Enchantment or awareness of the spiritual essential in nature is much more difficult. In other forms of light not connected to the shadow, such as dawn, twilight, and sunlight filtered through the trees, fairyland is revealed as it is beneath the moon, a panentheist world in which both external and internal meanings are seen in the symbolic repository of nature. Moonlight is a symbol of knowledge reflected between the self and nature through imagination. Isn't this crazy? Wow. <laughs> a guiding light beneath which the enchanted nature of matter is more visible. So I just wanna say one thing, because I talked to Jason about this. Um, I had, I think it was in the conversation with you, Luke, that, that I mentioned that when I thought about the shadow in Fantasies, I realized that a shadow is only cast when the sun hits a material object, right? Mm -hmm. And so the shadow was a direct result of the sun and materialism. And that's what cast the shadow. And so I was very pleased with the beginning of this. <laughs> to find out that I wasn't that far off, really. I mean, I didn't have all the, you know, all the other um, insights, but. Okay, so I'll keep going here with the moon. Moonlight is thus directly connected with a fairy or, or dream or as a way of knowing. Night is the fairy's day and the moon their sun, quote. This symbolic structure matches with the role played by the sun and the moon in medieval alchemy. In alchemical texts, the sun is often related to fire and sulfur, while the moon is connected to water and mercury. Mercury seen as a literal metal, but even more importantly, as a primal element representative of water and earth is the principle of fusibility, while sulfur seen as representative of air and fire is the principle of combustibility. Mercury gives permanence to metals, while sulfur corrupts them. The son of Fantasties is symbolically applied to Anotos in order to begin the alchemical process 
through a combustible process of putrefaction, the function of sulfur, while both water and the moon elevate him through coagulation, a function of mercury. The connection of the sun to the industrialized Britain of McDonald's day represents a critique that is clearly in line with the views of romantics like Coleridge, Shelley, and Wordsworth, for all of whom he professed deep admiration. MacDonald went beyond the Romantics with his panentheistic cosmology, however, as his thought remained primarily theological. His ideas were ultimately a pro product of the minister without pulpit, rather than the romantic writer of fairy tales. To truly understand the shadow as a symbol of the disenchantment resulting from materialism, we should look past the Romantics and focus on MacDonald's ultimate goal for humans. It is important for humans to view phenomena as living symbols so that they will be aware of their essential unity with nature and thus begin to glimpse the face of God. The materialist path is therefore the path away from unity. And for MacDonald, quote, oneness with God is the sole truth of humanity. Life parted from its causative life would be no life. It would be at best, it would at best be but a barrack of corruption, an outpost of annihilation. Unquote. MacDonald has often been accused of being vague, but he is very clear on this point. A disenchanted state, such as that symbolized by a notice's shadow, is death. So there's a ton of stuff in there. Yeah. Isn't that wasn't that great? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Find this again. I can link this to you guys. Okay. I'll, I'll link this uh, paper. It's 16 pages, but it was really fast, fascinating. It was mostly about the shadow. Okay. Um, but it had this nice little tidbit about the moon in it. So, where do we want to start? Um, so was was he saying that the shadow? Um, I was, I, I'm not super familiar with alchemy. So was he saying that the shadow kind of comes up to, to disenchant things? And then yeah. the, the quicksilver of the moon causes it to be re-enchanted from that dark space or something? Or Well, he says, um, yeah, like the, the fairy's sun is the moon, right? Like the, the enchanted world lives under the moon. Mm -hmm. and yeah. and the moon and so like if we if we want to take it back to what you said in the beginning jason about the moon being feminine representing intuition and instinct and what, what else did you say insight um, yeah uh let me say i wrote down some things it's uh to me that it's like creativity instinct a uh, subconscious mm -hmm. thought um because yeah because I mean, even if you just look at stuff, if you go out on a full moon, the shadows are uh, a bit eerie and vague, and uh, there, there's this weird comfort that goes along with it too. Though it's a very, very feminine feel, <laughs> but yeah, it is. Uh, um, yeah, that would be that makes sense to me that he would say that that it's their uh, the fairies' day because it uh, the the moonlight I don't know kind of gives life to that imaginative world i feel like it, it calls you what did, i actually wrote something down and i said it um uh what was it sunlight um like the the way the the moonlight works i feel like i don't know why i wrote it uh it almost like makes you look more intently or something you know 
that causes you to, because things aren't as clear. So you kind of have to wonder a little bit or something, you know, and engage yeah. with that, that, it, that inner intuition and stuff like that. But yeah. Oh, dreams and daydreams I had written down too is kind of the creative thought, exploratory thought, maybe things like that. Uh, mystery. Um, and I put kind of um, mystery and a, kind of this, a bit of a seductive quality in that it kind of a question because you mentioned like the veiling and unveiling of the moon in a way too. Like all those ideas I think are kind of well, the moon, the moon is The moon is like a veil, like it's, it's silvery, right? It's white. It, it, it's, it's not full blasting sunlight, you know, that exposes all the contours and every detail. Um, yeah. And, and, and he does, he does talk about periphery too in Fantasties, right? Like when, when he tries to, when he starts, Anoto starts to see shapes, right? In, in the story, at, he sees human shapes and but when he looks straight at them, they're just a rock and a tree and a bush. I really, I really love that because because what he's saying there that it is if you if you you know if you 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 actually see the thing that you know the enchanted world in your periphery, right? And then when you look straight at it, which is what the sun is doing, right? It's it's that full on look. Then it loses its magic and it just becomes the thing itself this material thing you know yeah and um there there's a poem that i saved a long while ago um uh it's it's in fantasties and it's it's this one here it's man doth usurp all space stares thee in rock bush river in the face never thine eyes behold a tree tis no sea thou seest in the sea Tis but a disguised humanity to avoid thy fellow, vain thy plan. All that interests a man is man. And that and that and and then it, that's at the beginning of one of the chapters in Fantasties. And then he actually uses later on in that chapter the line rock bush river, right? He 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 steals that little triad. Uh, and um and it's it's when Anotos starts seeing these human shapes. Which is which is indicative to me of when he starts to become enchanted, mm-hmm. because he's. I think further back in the in the story, he he sees one at one point, and it just it's nothing, but then he starts seeing them these human shapes everywhere, and every time he looks at them, they're just you know a rock, a bush, or or whatever, right? So, yeah, I have I've got a thought. Um, yeah. And it goes back to the subconscious slash pre-conscious. I don't, I don't know if there's a good distinction between subconscious and pre-conscious. Um, but, um, I've heard both of those terms used before. And I think there's something to be said, like, as soon as a thought, as soon as it becomes conscious, it, it loses its like almost in the same way that the periphery operates, um, once it becomes focalized in your conscience, once it becomes a conscious thought, it is not, it, it loses its substance and meaning. You can even think about this in the dream state. Like you, is, you lose it when on, uh, upon waking, like you lose the world that you were just in moments prior. 
and you could try to, you know, um, recover it. And sometimes you're successful at it. I think it can be done in practice, but, um, you know, that, that very idea that it's elusive and it's almost vague, like it's not even knowable in the same way that it can, that it, like it's, it, it, it remains in silence. Like it's, it's tacit, it stays in its tacit form. As soon as it's made explicit, it loses its meaning. It's it, like, I don't know how to- No, that's perfect. That's exactly right. You know, that's like the idea of killing something to dissect it, right? It's the same idea. Like you, this is why I say you have to, the, the real is, is found in the periphery, in a sense, you know, in the shape. But what I thought was really cool um, in, the, in the thing that I read here is he says, moonlight is a symbol of knowledge reflected between the self and nature through imagination, a guiding light beneath which the enchanted nature of matter is more visible. So he, he drags imagination into it, which, which is, mm -hmm. you know, which is what you were just talking about, like in the dream world, right? Mm -hmm. We would call that the workings of our imagination, right? Or the periphery. Um, I had this really weird experience one time where I was on this medication and that the doctor gave me, it wasn't illegal. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I was, I had gone out to milk my goats and I was coming back from the goat barn. I was walking through one of our pastures. It's just a big open field. And I had the milk bucket in my hand and I had, I was walk, walking, I walk watching my feet. Like I don't usually stare straight ahead. So I was walking with my head down and suddenly I had this, I saw a stop sign, right? And I stopped because I thought I was going to walk into it. And, and then I'm like, oh, there's no that's weird. Why would there even be a stop sign in the middle of my pasture? <laughs> right. And then I, and then I walked a little further and then there it was again, you know, and um, I don't know, I had to go for a doctor's appointment and to, and the doctor wanted to know how the medication was working. And I said, well, I had this really weird experience where I, you know, walked into a stop sign in the middle of my field. <laughs> and he said, Oh, per peripheral hallucinations. That's what that was. Yeah. It was in the periphery. Yeah. You know? And, and, but it was so real. Like it was so real that I thought I was going to hit my head, you know, on this signpost. Right. Yeah. I don't know what I was trying to say with that, but um, he took me off the medication because it was <laughs> not really desirable. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> I don't like stop signs. <laughs> Not in the middle of my field. <laughs> and why a stop sign of all things? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, that's a that's a whole different story. But um, yeah, the yeah. symbol of knowledge reflected between the self and nature. So there's this reciprocal, you know thing going on between you and nature which 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 also reflects back to that poem you know where he's looking at he's looking at things and all he can see is man right he's looking at rock bush river in the face but it's really he sees the the shape of a human being so yeah any thoughts on that 
I would prefer to hear what you have to say, but um, I no, I, I, I would distract from because uh, I've got a, another thought. But... No, go for it. Just do it. Unless, unless you want to say something about that. Well, I, I'm, I think I'm confused about that. In or... Like the reflection of man in, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's. A... <laughs> yeah. What confuses you about that? I'm curious. I think it's because I don't want to see, see myself. <laughs> see yourself in in nature you mean or sure. yeah 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 because i don't i yeah but that, that's also has to do with all sorts of like self-loathing and <laughs> you know that sort of thing so it's like yeah yeah you don't i don't i if you don't see yourself as beautiful that you apprehend beauty in nature then it yeah then you have to confront your own your own beauty and your own <laughs> that you have to confront confront your own magic magical you know truth beauty and goodness you know and and you don't if you if you do not want to see that you know you, you will you will uh you'll run from it and that's that's exactly what he's talking about in that poem mm-hmm Do you think? Do you think that that that's also a a, um, um, a sort of disenchantment? Yeah, it's depression. I mean, this is is exactly what you're talking about, and so um, it it is very much that that piece of the puzzle where it's like, uh, well, that's the that was I mean, that was what I had thought of in reading Fantasties and reading about the shadow was very much that reenchant or disenchantment and reenchantment theme but also that's directly related at least in my own experience to my depression and right. what it was that has begun a reenchantment process for me is this sophianic sort of like um very like i i i can't look at it directly you know i want to see the face of god but i can't I can't, I, I can't look at him dead in the eyes, you know, yeah. and, and plus I'd burn into a thousand little smithereens if I did or whatever, but yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? But you wouldn't even recognize him if you did. Like right? the thing, exactly. you wouldn't even know where to look. Right. And, and, um, you know, I had that when I read that poem there from Henry Sutton, you know, that everywhere, everywhere you look, you see a man. Um, I had that same Calvinist knee jerk reaction. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> not that, that, not that evil thing. It's right? knee deep. It's got its talents. It does. It does. But I mean, my, my own experience and all the things that I've been learning, um, this to me is, is, is God hidden in plain sight. You see, like one of the things that I've realized that the shape of God in the world is the shape of a man, Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, um, and that calls me into that imaginative process of trying to figure out what that means. You know, I've always, I've always thought about the, you know, the fact that Christ was fully man and fully God, you know, I mean, I've thought about it. I've, I've heard it and I've let it go, you know, um, and I've seen, I've seen the, 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 um, the way that humanity has struggled with that concept down through the ages, you know, through the church fathers and so on, right? Like they want to strive against it. And, and yet um, it's not something that can be, that can be um, said explicitly like you were talking about. It can't be made explicit. It just has to be left as it is fully God and fully human, right? Um, I was in catechism classes recently and we were talking about the Eucharist. And, and my priest said, you know, the, 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 the Eucharist is fully bread and wine and fully blood and body. And I'm like, cling. There it is, right? It's the, it's the fully God and fully man concept. And, um, and we don't know how to process that, you know, because we think linearly, right? So, well, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing? (laughs) Is it bread or is it God, you know? Well, it's both. It's both, right? And, and, um, and you have to live in an, in an enchanted world in order to actually grasp that fully, I think. And, uh, and this is why, you know, bringing it back to the moon, um, this is what the moon does. It, it, it unveils, right, in the moonlight. It has this silvery white um, peripheral, not explicit, feminine quality to it that, that gives you, you know, that, that shimmering glimpse of what I call the slippery fish. <laughs> slippery. You go to grab it and it's just gone, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you guys brought up, um, I think it was when you said, Luke, that uh, when you try to look at God or something, it would, you might just burst into a bunch of um, thousand pieces. It just reminded me, I, I said to my, one of my friends a, a long time ago, we were just out walking at night one time and we were, I just looked up and the moon was there and I, I made the comment how like and I don't even know if it's a true statement but I was like you know the only way I can actually look at the sun is to look at the moon because I can't go out and just yeah. stare at the sun but I can go out and stare at the moon and it kind of reminds me of the same thing with uh Christ and his bride like you know mm-hmm. the only way I can truly know God at least right here and now is through through communion with his his bride basically and the other people in his body um so I don't that know I like I like that that connection, but I'm like, I don't know. It seems like a true statement to me, but I'm no scientist, so. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you saying that because I think that was, that is, um, no, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And I think that, um, yeah, because uh, what is it? Is it God's holiness 
is that what is that what it what it is that uh you know so often is you know you're walking on holy ground you know that that's the the idea where you are not worthy and and so um yeah but then christ makes way so well there's another i have another little quote from a writer on burma and burma's relationship to the moon he does talk about the moon but not as much as the sun like like the other uh, thing that i read um but he says the world is the body of universal man the spiritual sun is his heart and the moon is the symbol of his imagination. The true meaning of Burma's writings like those of the Bible will only be understood if we cease to look upon the cosmos from our limited personal point of view and by becoming identified in our consciousness with the all and realize that the all is ourself. And that's, and that's very much like Moonlight is a symbol of knowledge reflected between the self and nature through imagination. A guiding light beneath the enchanted nature of matter is more visible. Yeah. Um, and then again, back to the poem by Henry Sutton that wherever he looks, he sees man, right? He sees the shape of man. But the thing is, for me anyway, personally, um, I've had to, I've had to realize, and, and we live in a world that does, that, you know, that is okay with the complete annihilation of mankind, right, on the earth. Like, seriously, they are. And, um, and yet the scriptures and, um, and our intuition tells us that, that there's some, there's something very sacred about mankind and um and the role that he plays in the world right but but it's a cosmic role and i think that that's something that at least i like to highlight you know it's not our salvation often in christian circles becomes very egocentric it's all about us you know it's all about mankind getting saved right from the sinking ship kind of thing but it but but man is mediating salvation for all of creation. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. And all of creation is telling man um, about himself and God at the same time, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it better be about all creation because that's where we put our dead even. I mean, we bury the bones back in like the womb of the earth. They go right back in the mother's, the mother's belly. And where, right. yeah, you don't want to abandon that. I don't know. But I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty prominent there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I had uh, some questions I want to ask you guys, but they would probably go off in a way different area. <laughs> so we don't have to get there yet. But I was looking for this, this, it was in, um, in Lilith. And I remember it was in chapter seven and he said all night, it was talking about the dead that are laying in like this graveyard area, but he said all night, the moon reads their faces and smiles. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he says, but why leave them in the corrupting moonlight? I asked our moon. He answered, it's not like yours. 
the old cinder of a burnt out world, her beams embalm the dead, not corrupt them. You observe that here the sexton lays his dead in the earth. He buries very few under it. In your world, he lays, he lays huge stones on them as if to keep them down. I watch for the hour to ring the resurrection bell and wake those that are still asleep. So I don't know, he just had, he brings up this idea that the, the moonlight uh, reads their faces and also embalms the dead in that world. I don't know. In, what do you Go ahead, what do you I think? That, I had that highlighted in, in there too. Well, think? he says, the moon that we have, our moon is, let me just see if I can figure this out. If, our moon is not like yours. Her beams embalm the dead, not corrupt them. Oh, okay. Okay, so in his world, they embalm the dead and not corrupt them. So they're incorruptible. Yeah. Because that's what embalming does, right? It makes, yes. it stops decay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. There was another part in Lilith where I remember he mentioned that there were many moons and many different types of moons. And I've always kind of wondered about that. But then I was actually out thinking today, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I was just thinking that I feel like it's kind of a sim uh, similar in the way we live too. Because like with the sun, if I was going to follow the sun, it's like, like we already said, it's clear. It's a cut. It's rising in the east, sets in the west. Like I know it's this path that gives me a clear path sort of to follow, but the moon, I would, I mean, maybe I could study it enough to understand it, but I have no idea when she's going to rise, what she's going to look like, if she's going to be full, if she's going to be kind of a yellowish tint, if she'll even be red, and I don't know what arc she's going to take through the sky, when she's going to set. Like this past month, I don't know if it's the same, because I don't even know if she's the same in your areas, like where, where it is for me, but this past this past month, I mean, it's been like all night long. The moon's been uh, just a really, really, she like up in the sky all night. And where other nights, it'll be like, you know, I'll watch just this little arc and then she'll go down. And so I'm like, I, I don't know, there just seems to be maybe that idea of, of many moons. And she's always doing something different, which like makes you even more intrigued and more digging mm -hmm. into the imagination or something. And trying to discover I guess and it, you also it, see by that light too right like mm -hmm. I know living here um I'm always I'm always happy for a full moon because because I don't have to wear a headlamp and you know I can just go straight out do my chores in the dark but it's light and um then you have after full moon phase you have this no moon and it's just pitch you know and you're tapping around trying to figure out where you are if you don't have your headlamp going you know um and after that i don't like that phase at all actually i don't like the no moon phase because it you know especially in the winter time because i'm usually working in the dark in the winter right because the, the days are just shorter and um it's not so much in the in the summer and then you get that little sliver you know and it's like oh is coming back and and it's you know i was thinking because i've been i've been i've been reading and and thinking a lot about what heidegger talks about hmm. of course his book is called being in time and and i thought when did we start keeping time but now that you mention that jason 
people have been keeping time with the moon probably forever. It's a way of keeping time, don't you think? Yeah. It's definitely yeah. a way of keeping time. I mean, yeah. it is in a rural lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Which makes it very finite, right? Earthy, in a sense, too. So did you, I have another question too. Did you say earlier when that, in that thing you were reading, did you say that the metal of the sun was silver as well? Or was that just, because I know you said the metal of the moon was quicksilver. But I didn't know if the metal of the sun was, is it silver or is it gold? I don't know um, that it really matters that much. I just, I have no idea. Medieval alchemy, the sun is often related to fire and sulfur. Well, the moon is related to water and mercury. Oh, okay. Um, you know, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah. um, when you were talking earlier too about the, the alchemical process, and then there was that relation that was made with depression um, and the putrefaction and the not, no, because the sulfurization was the putrefaction, but then there was another term. Yeah. I remember... Uh, there's this idea, like when people were filled, where were melancholic back, and I don't know, maybe this is medieval or in prior to the medieval period, but it was like people were filled with black bile, mm -hmm. and that that was like immediately what I thought of, but I didn't say anything then. But I wondered if that, um, in relation to the alchemical thing, if that was that sort of the the way that death sort of like haunts um i don't know i'm losing the words for it but yeah just to see what you're, no i think <laughs> I what you're saying i think that goes sorry go, share. Oh. go ahead share. well no i just wanted to ask like the black bile being part of the putrefaction process process yeah okay. or being um yeah, and I'm not even sure necessarily if it was uh, necessarily a bad thing. I, I mean, in there's that there's a telos in in the very idea of alchemy, like we're trying to accomplish something, we're trying to like trans tra transform the substance into something else, and so yeah. um, you know, there's a there's a goal there, and but like in order to accomplish that goal, there is this sort of like this death that has to occur right. uh, the previous substance in order for the new substance to actually have any sort of substance to be formed out of <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah so, so but those base elements sort of like the but i don't know if, if black bile is related to this at all it's just, well he says here it says uh the negredo is part of the process of putrefaction this or dissolution this dissolution, which is, let's call it deconstruction, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Says trismosin is not, is quote, nothing but a killing of the moist with the dry. In fact, a putrefaction and consequently turns the matter black. So there you go. That is alchemical. So that's probably why they had the idea, right? That someone who was depressed was full of black bile. Yeah. That there was a putrefaction happening. Um, is that? Wild. Is that kind of like the? 
the caterpillar going into metamorphosis. Would you pull in that imagery there, or am I getting off base here? That similar idea. So yeah. it's kind of like a death, and yeah, taking, taking it down to. Yeah, it says that the process, this process goes through many different stages that vary according to the alchemist or alchemical tradition, but a process consisting of at least three main stages, putrefaction, coagulation, and sublimation is usually followed. So yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know if you, I talk about this all the time with Jess, it's, it's the U-shaped journey, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. It's the same pattern, you know, of death, of of birth, death, and and resurrection. Because sublimation is like this higher, you know. But we don't think of I I guess I've never made this <laughs> with alchemy. And I know very yeah. little about alchemy, but it gives it sort of it's it's broadening my understanding of what yeah. alchemy is, I suppose. Yeah, mine too, actually. Like I've read, I've tried to read Burma and it's alchemical in nature, right? So it's like a lot of talking about elements and sulfur and, you know, planets and Jupiter. And, and I'm like, yeah, woo. <laughs> like I, just, I don't know where, where to land with it, you know? Mm-hmm. But what you just said there was, was, you know, really kind of brought it home for me too. So it was, it was really good. And, so the- and what did you what did you ask before, Jason? Well, I just wanted it. I was asking if it's kind of like the metamorphosis process of the caterpillar. Is that putrefaction thing? If that's similar, because I was thinking if it's related to moonlight, because um, George McDonald and, and Lilith as well, like he kind of, I mean, it's like I said, like you can't put your finger on it. So it's not just related to death, but he kind of brings her in with that idea as well, that it's kind of like this she's there to keep you embalm you her light kind of keeps you in this uh state to and then she reads your face it's like the, the the lesser light to guide you through the night through that so that inner intuition that imagination you can engage in in those those dark places that i guess you're in with that bile I, that that was my thought i guess is if it, when you're in the cocoon like i said and you're in the cave or whatever you're not going to find the sun there but you might find a moon or something you might find a, a little inward light or something to, right yeah 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 i mean this idea in the quote that you read about embalms the dead um it's like because he he says that you know the moon corrupts right and and he's corrected and says no she doesn't corrupt she makes incorruptible basically yeah right <laughs> And that is what the imagination does. I mean, if you if you connect the, the, the moon to imagination, like, like it says in here, um, uh, moonlight is a symbol of knowledge reflected between the self and nature through imagination. Um, then it's the imagination which makes the, the thing incorruptible, which makes you literally incorruptible, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, the weird, the weird thing too with that is like, right. Um, so I think it was two, 2020, the beginning of that year. I normally try to start up here with, with like a, a fast a little bit. I mean, I, f- I fast here and there whenever, but like <laughs> I'll try to do a little bit more extended one. But I remember praying at the beginning of that year that I was kind of felt like I was in one of those places, like you mentioned, Luke, where you're just kind of in this dark place in this vial. And I remember praying kind of almost a little bit of a desperate prayer and just like, 
God, I need you to speak to me through imagination because there's, there's got to be more. And then after that, like I said, those synchronicities started happening with the moon and I would lay out on my porch to sleep at night and it seemed like I was just looking up to a bright moon every single night. Like I, in my head, it was a full moon, you know, but I'm like, I know that's not true. But so just that weird, there is that connection with the imagination and the, and the moonlight and that all those ideas run through. And it is that, uh, I love that you brought up that it's incorruptible because it is that it's like a weird saving grace in those, those dark times uh, that moonlight is. Um, yeah. The way in which the moon doesn't overpower the darkness is just, I don't, I don't know if that's a, I, I think we've already talked about it, but it's, it's just that, that idea that the darkness does not go away, but here is, here is some measure of radiance to like, get through Um, yeah i don't know yeah yeah and it it only illuminates what's closest to you right like you don't you don't get to see the whole landscape you only get to see a few feet ahead of yourself or whatever i mean if you're lucky if it's a snowy night um, yeah then you might get to see the whole landscape that's right but yeah you, you just you just get to see things kind of one step at a time. <laughs> yeah. I had a question for you guys. I'm totally, I, I have no thoughts on this. And this is probably going to derail it maybe somewhere else. But do either of you have any ideas on the Cheshire Cat? Is that how you even say it? Like, what's going on with that whole thing? And the, the moon and the way its mouth is and I don't know what's happening there. I mean, I know she's in kind of a dream world, but is it the same idea? I need to pull up uh, an image so that I need to You can more. share screen if you want. <laughs> I don't, it's been so long since I read Alice in Wonderland. I love the Cheshire Cat actually, um, but I don't, I don't know how she fits like I don't even know what her role is in the story really maybe maybe it's completely under I've never read the book I just remember the the Disney cartoon when I was little and uh should show up and have the just the like at one point in one scene I think Alice looks up and she sees the moon and it's kind of like a half moon or something or it looks like a smile and then it turns into the smile of the cat and I always I don't know why it's always stuck out in my head I'm like maybe it has nothing to do with the idea of the symbolism of the moon I have no idea I just was curious if you guys had any thoughts on that oh okay <laughs> sorry the cat, the cat being a feline and uh why did i know that like femininity in the cat and the moon and darkness and the the whole thing i mean that's it seems to all there. be there right yeah. oh there yeah that's true and and in lilith there are two cats too um yeah but oh, we won't give it too much away because Luke's <laughs> yeah you gotta read it I yeah it's a fun book too it's just I mean you read through it and I remember the first time reading through and I was just like what the heck is going on and it just feels like a trip and then he the way he does it he just like takes everything and just pulls it together at the end and you're like oh okay there it all is it's it's fun cool I'm I'm down I I'm 
kind of very new to even fantasy literature in, in general, or even I've read some fiction, but a lot of it has not been rooted in any sort of fantasy world. So yeah, like Lord of the Rings and Narnia, but those were like the staples, you know? So I tried so. reading at the back of the North Wind years and years ago with my daughter when she was like three or four. I thought I'd read her a fairy tale. And someone told me to read George MacDonald, that he was a Christian. So I was like, well, you know, I'll do that. <laughs> Just read the Christian stories. And I was like, what is wrong with this man? <laughs> this is a story. I just, I, it just felt so strange to me. It's a, a world that I had never even, you know, this is like, I'm what, 23 or 24 reading this story you know and I still have the book I and I still have yet to read the story but but, but now I now I want to I still know? have yet to read the story I tried <laughs> listening to that one and it is strange I um I don't know if I finished it either but you know it's funny because the north wind has on the on the on the dust jacket of the book she's got this hair that goes right down to the ground and it's just like everywhere right and and um I went, <laughs> this is a funny story. I went to the hairdresser and um, a friend of mine took my daughter, she was three. And we, that's when we were reading the book and um, took her while I was at the hairdresser. And then when they came back and I went, <laughs> this was in Switzerland. And I went to this Italian, like real Italian guy, you know, he had me practically doing gymnastics in the thing. Like I had to, I had to hang my head upside down, you know. <laughs> Anyways, by the time I was done, I had this Italian hairdo, eh? which is like, <laughs> and this is like the 80s, you know, and my daughter walks in and she goes, Mommy, you look like the North Wind. <laughs> That's great. Oh. Everybody was like, North Wind. <laughs> yeah. But I do have to read that one. <laughs> yeah. so have you read all almost basically all his stuff sherry oh, no cool. yeah okay i still <laughs> I haven't finished the golden key yet i i got halfway through it and then distracted as usual and then um and i read uh, uh the light princess and i want to read the day boy and the night is it the night boy and the day girl or yeah the... read read that one that that's a lot what we're talking about with the sun and the moon yeah yeah there i was yeah. thinking there must be a lot of moon moon imagery in that one too yeah you can actually find that i'm pretty sure it's on apple podcasts if you wanted to listen to it instead um, yeah. or something it might be on spotify as well but i read it because i had those those little books, like you said, you had a copy as well. Yeah, it was in one of those, and I remember reading it. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. It definitely had all. He was pulling on those ideas a lot. And I read Lilith first on Luke Thompson's recommendation, and then I got Fantasties, and um, that I I I listened to it on an audiobook while I was turning my compost, and I. I could hardly wait to go turn my compost so I can continue this. <laughs> so what's your favorite? My Do favorite? To... Yeah. Well, I love Fantasies because it's so rich. It's like a tapestry to me. Yeah. You know, of 
stories within stories within stories and and the description the descriptive language is is super rich lilith is is very profound um it's kind of biblical in a sense yeah. fantastic is if you spend too much time thinking about it you'll miss the whole magic of the story yeah you have to just yeah. you just have to uh, immerse That's yourself that's my main concern about we're doing a read through with a few friends of mine and we're going through fantasies and that's one of my main concerns i'm like man we can't pick this book apart too much because it's just what luke and i said too when we first got together to talk we were thinking about we were thinking about going you know talking about fantasies and we both agreed that yeah you know no yeah even though i really did appreciate jason the commentary i think i just started it earlier today that you had with a couple of couple other guys that were yeah anyways it was it was it was you guys approached it in a pretty cool way does anybody have you know um does anybody have a favorite part of fantasties that we could share um you don't have to read it like you could if you if you can remember it yeah i think my favorite part was when he goes to the uh because we've all read the whole book, right? So I don't want to yeah. spoil it. Okay, yeah. Um, so if anyone's listening, I'll spoil it. But my, I might spoil something. But my favorite part was um, when he went, when he finds the the mother or grandmother or whatever spinning in the cottage and he goes into the the house of the dead, basically. I can't remember what the door is. He goes through. He goes through that door. And um, just that whole scene, it's just amazing. And she yeah. And she tells him, like, not to go into this one door and he's just like but I was gone and he's just and then he said I don't remember anything he wakes up there's a flood but it's the one door he goes through in particular like a lot where there's this quote and he says uh the dead kiss well I will not be afraid or something like that and then he says the veil between though very dark is very thin something like that I don't know it's that whole little scene in there where he's in there with the dead and he's just I don't know that really stood out to me a lot I'm gonna have to reread that yeah, I remember he, he came he came out with a shadow from that experience, right? No, this yeah. was that was an earlier door where he meets the um goodness word the ogre. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and there's the a ogre. later. Yeah, it's a, it's later on in the book. When is it? Um, it might be after he gets rid of the sh- shadow. I'm not sure, or it might be before that. I don't know. But he goes, he finds this house, and there's just this old lady spinning, and right. he ends up like weeping with her, and yeah, goes through I think I think four doors, and I think the first one he has like a a memory of him and his brothers and one of his brothers dying or something like that. I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly. Well, you know, it might be one year to the day that I have, that I, that I read or listened to fantastic. So maybe it's time for, for yeah. another year. Are we all, so you, you hadn't read a whole lot before recently then of George MacDonald or, or did you grow up reading him? Like, Who me? Yeah. Or Luke. Or, well, oh, either one oh. of you. <laughs> no, he was he was he was I had never heard of him before yeah. never heard of him and when I got the uh book at the back of the north windows in Switzerland and mm-hmm. someone said oh you should you should really read George MacDonald if it wasn't for George MacDonald we would have we would never have had um Tolkien and Lewis and I was like oh okay yeah <laughs> Then I tried reading in the back of the North Wind, and I was like, "This man is crazy." Yes, yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. <wrong> yeah. With <laughs> so, what's what's your both of your 
Do you have a favorite part of Fantasius? Uh, yeah, I think my favorite is when he is finally having the realization that like this, when he's approaching the palace and he's in his boat. Um, at the end of the book, am I th I'm thinking of the right thing, right? I think, yeah, he, he floats down some stream, if I remember right, and then he yeah. comes upon this palace, and there's yeah. like a library in the palace as well or something, and a pool. Yeah, okay. and it was the realization that, like, um, that this was his, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't, yeah. it was, uh, it wasn't even it, and I don't know exactly how he came to that realization, but it was like he realized that this was, this belonged to him, and that this had been his all along in that like because it kind of I guess it, it what that meant was like like this was his inheritance like yeah. this was the this was this was his um I guess I don't know if it would be his mother's inheritance or his father's inheritance I don't know if it if it was necessarily linked to the secretary and the gift of the secretary um coming coming to him but it was the it was it I, it was kind of like his, he, that is, he is a child of, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but it was, it was a very like, oh, the realization that you're a child of God type of thing. And that like, this is your inheritance. And, and That's it cool. was like, yeah. So. That's really cool. Those are all thoughts I had that hadn't even gone through my head before. That's really good. I don't know why I didn't pick, I didn't, Connect any of that. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. What about you, Sherry? What's your favorite? My my favorite part is when when he he runs across the little girl. Oh, and the knight. I can't remember his name now. There's a knight, and he runs across this little girl who's collecting butterfly wings. And she's dressed in in rags. Let's call them filthy rags. And and he can see little little bumps on her on her shoulder on her, on her back where her shoulder blades are, and she's and the butterflies. She goes to the butterflies and she asks for their rings and they give them to her. And then she she's making a patchwork of her own wings with the wings from the butterflies. And and these wooden men who are invisible are attacking her and. The way George MacDonald puts it, he says they 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 walk, they knock her down and walk all over her. And I'm just like, I get that. <laughs> you know, you're trying to collect these butterfly wings, right? You're asking these butterflies for their wings, and they're so beautiful. And you're making your own wings with yeah. these butterfly yeah. wings. And these invisible men are knocking you down and walking all over you, right? And you're just poor little girl dressed in filthy rags and um i think the last line in that little story is it says <laughs> so he ends up he ends up um he tries to he he hits them with his sword and when he hits them with his sword they appear and they're wooden and so he tries hacking them and and all the splinters become more of them which is <laughs> just, just so perfect
<laughs> and then and then he finally, he finally figures out that he has to flip them upside down and stand them on their heads. <laughs> I just like I'm like George, you're just you're so you're doing this so well. <laughs> keep going, keep going, you know. And and so then he says, I tripped one of them up and taking him by the legs, set him on his head, and with his heels against a tree. I was delighted to find he could not move. Meantime, the poor child was walked over by the other, but it was for the last time. Whenever one appeared, I followed the same plan, tripped him up and set him on his head. And then the last line, and so the little girl, the little beggar was able to gather her wings without any trouble. That's great. And I just thought, man, I yeah that book that book is a masterpiece that is an incredible story in there that is my favorite that one in the little boy where the shadow passes over him you know but that one there is just like the description I'm, i was just roaring when i was reading it i was just roaring when you know these wooden guys you know and <laughs> they're just wooden <laughs> well, just, i love how much you love it i love it i love it so much and and if you can if you hit them with your sword and splinter them they make more <laughs> oh sorry I, I just find it very amusing yeah it's weird it's it's very like once you it, it's weird you have to kind of approach it with that that moonlight in a way with that intuition with that imagination and then it makes sense and you're like wow this is extremely real and i can yeah it, it's it's relatable on a lot of levels and it's yeah but if you try to think about it and make too much sense Actually, of it then you lose the whole thing i think there's a really beautiful line in here about um about let me see if i can find it um maybe it's not maybe i just think it is um Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can, I can relate to the little girl collecting the butterfly wings, you know, he says after walking for two or three hours. Oh, no, here, wait, wait, here it is. Um, um, oh, this is so beautiful. I have to read it. So I armed myself to be ready for anything that might happen and followed the, the child. For though I could make nothing of her story, I could see she was a little human being in need of some help or other. As she walked before me, I looked attentive, attentively at her. Whether or not it was from being so often knocked down and walked over, I could not tell. But her clothes were very much torn, and in several places her white skin was peeping through. I thought she was humpbacked, but on looking more closely, I saw through the tatters of her frock, do not laugh at me a bunch of each shoulder of the most gorgeous colors. Looking yet more closely, I saw that they were of the shape of folded wings and were made of all kinds of butterfly wings and moth wings crowded together like the feathers on the individual butterfly pinion, but like them most beautifully arranged and producing a perfect harmony of color and shade. I could now more easily believe the rest of her story especially as I saw every now and then a certain heaving motion in the wings 
as if they longed to be uplifted and outspread. But beneath her scanty garments, complete wings could not be concealed. And indeed, from her own story, they were yet unfinished. It just brings tears to my eyes, you know, when he says, I saw every now and then a certain heaving motion in the wings as if they longed to be uplifted and outspread. Just like, <laughs> you know? And then these wooden guys come along, <laughs> knock her down and walk all over her. Yeah. Such a good story. And of course, Cosmos, the story of Cosmos in um, Fantastic. The story within the story, right? Yeah. Is, is amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't mind talking. I don't mind talk of, talking about fantasies like this. Oh, yeah. You know, this is beautiful, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost one of the best ways to talk about, it, I think, is read it, reading it, like you do, and just soak yeah. it in. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I good. always thought that the, the 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 standing the guys on their heads. I thought about that for a long time. Why? Why does he? Why does he stand them on their heads? I think it's because. And they can't move, right? Because they're looking at everything upside down. Like their whole world is turned upside down. <laughs> That's what he does to them. Yeah. And what happens? They can't move. They're stuck. <laughs> They've never seen it like that before. Mm -hmm. Paralyzed. Yeah. Wow. wow. I just read that part in Acts today in the, the Bible where it's talking about a they go to Thessalonica and the people get all mad at them because they're preaching the gospel there. And they say, it says that, I can't remember what verse, like if I don't know the specific reference, but he says, uh, basically these people have come here and they're turning the world upside down. It's kind of, that's kind of, that's a, what my translation says at least. Yeah. They're turning the world upside down. Yeah. Hmm. Shaking things up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I would hate, hate, hate it if anybody ever got a hold of Fantasies and tried to turn it into a movie. They would probably destroy oh it. It would be the worst thing ever. I'm like, man. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully whoever reads that book would be smart enough to never attempt that because you just it's like that 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 article you sent me sure about the imagination. That was probably one of the hardest things I've ever read in my entire life, but it was so worth it because there's just like little pieces that I gleaned throughout the whole thing. But it kind of feels like that where he talks about um, kind of like what we were talking about with the whole moonlight and sunlight thing. Like once we take something and it's con like it's conscious, we just keep masking it into this clay. We're like, okay, I've got it in my hand and I can't, mm -hmm. uh, and it takes the poetry out of it. It takes the imagination out of it. And I think the same thing would happen with that book. If people just start dissecting it too much or make it into a film or something like that. It's like, no, it seems the purpose of it is to pull your imagination and like C.S. Lewis said, baptize it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, it's like my version of the movie. I'm laughing my head off when I read that part. About the <laughs> wings. I don't know if everybody else would, you know, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just roaring. I'm just like, oh, George, you're so cunning and you're so good. <laughs> I got to go back and read it. <sighs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I'll do that too. Another reading of Fantasties. Like I said, it's it, it's one of those books that'll be like a, a pilgrimage, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
the, uh, yeah. I think like having a decent book cover is as far as you can go because I got I got some copy that has like this this these beautiful images on the front or some it was a used copy and it is you have it right there don't you I'm trying to pull right <laughs> is it is it uh that that's one? the one yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like yeah that's as far as you can go and maybe that's too far no movies <laughs> yeah, yeah making images is Lily so Oh, that is kind of similar. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it looks almost identical. Yeah, I don't know who did that. Isn't that? I've got. I've got. Let me see. I've got a. um, Here's mine. Find it. I know. Politically or not. Do you keep your books in order? I don't. No, I just have this this little book of this copy of Fantasties with me. I just carry it in my book bag all the time. <laughs> Lilith, I don't normally have with me, but I just for this conversation, I had it earlier. Yeah, say, but you know that was smart. That was thinking ahead. Yeah, I actually have another copy of Fantasties where that actually includes artwork, and I don't know who did it, but I've never oh. read it yet. Yeah, I don't know. I'll go grab it real quick and just see. It's right here. That's so cool. No, I don't know where I have my cop- copy because I end up stacking books up everywhere. Let me see here. Yeah. I have a newer one. Accumulating, don't they? You know, I read a book years ago. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I can hear you. So it's not like a lot of artwork. Um, Whoa. but there's like different things in there and i'm like I, I don't really like it you know i don't know i mean I, is that original though because he did have artwork to the book i don't know oh maybe he did i don't know yeah, yeah. i don't know what this is wait I, george was an illustrator as well no but somebody did it for him okay. i don't know i'll have to read the read more on this one i found this at a i go to this used bookstore mckay's i don't know if you guys have one there but Every time I see a George McDonald book, I'm like, I'm taking it. Even if I already have a copy, I'm like, I'll give it to someone. I don't care. I'm taking it. So I have like, I probably bought like five copies of Fantasies by now and I've given them away. And yeah, so. Nice. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, it's made an impact on you when you just like keep on giving it up. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It is. Yeah. The moon is made of cheese. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was actually, that popped up in my head earlier today too, because I was writing, um, I was trying to write something. And so it was about, uh, I still have no idea what to do with what I'm writing, but it was about this little girl character I've been thinking of. And she follows these, uh, it was kind of along that idea of her following this weird light in the darkness. But I, I named, I went through a list of things and I don't even know how much they're all related. One was like, she was following this trail of silver coins that, that, and I was trying to use like sound as well. And so they were ringing as if they were just flipped off some uh, Lazarus angels fingers or something like that. So that was kind of one thing. And then the next one was um, like there, these, uh, clam, these uh, silvery clams that would open up and reveal pearls that were like singing or something like that. And then the one after that was Milky Moons, these little Milky Moons. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, and then, then there comes this part where she gets scared and then the Milky Moons turn sour. And I was like, it just be like some moldy blue cheese or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
you know, I don't know. Exactly. Because the, the woods just kind of become horrifying at one point or whatever. But then another part I put in there was the, the will of the wisp. And I was wondering if that's similar to following the, the moonlight. I'm not too, are either of you familiar with those, with those ideas? Okay. I think it's like a will of the wisp. I know it, it was in that Disney movie, Brave. And it's this little, when she's younger, she sees these. It, the way they show it on that is these glowing orbs leading on a trail through the woods in the middle of the night. And I, the most I'm familiar about is it seems to be kind of along those lines. It's like this little guiding orbs or something you find in the woods, I don't know. And those are Will of the Wisps? Will of, Will of, Will of the Wisps. It's like um, W. Uh, yeah, I know, I know the term, Will of the Wisps. Will of the Wisps. Let's see, uh, Wikipedia. In folklore, a Will of the Wisp, Will of the Wisp, or Giddy Flame, it's got different ones, is an atmospheric ghost light seen by travelers at night, especially over bogs, swamps, and marshes. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. The things, I don't know. That, why do we tell ghost stories around campfires at night? And then there, there, I don't, there's these weird things, these, the, like, I, I remember going out on a full moon trying to find the Michigan dog man. Like, there's, I got to hear about this <laughs> Michigan dog man. What's, what's going on? Yeah. Well, it's like the Wendigo or whatever. Like okay. every, every state has one, you know. And so like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I haven't heard of one here. I'm going to have to go find one on a full moon or something. But then but there was a night in which, then this is high school, you know, and so you go out with your friends and, and we wanted to find the dog man. And we had heard about a place where somebody had saw one. So we went to the exact location and, that, you know, uh, I didn't see anything, but, you know, three of my friends were petrified, you know, like turning white, swore they saw something, you know, white as a ghost, like, and, you know, still swear to it to this day that they all three saw the Michigan dog man that night, you know, under the, under the full moon. But like, there's, there's, I think it's just, you, you can get yourself into uh, there's something about like the imagination that does change in uh, in in under the lesser light, I suppose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, in I don't know. Did I ever send you that that imagination essay, Luke? It doesn't sound familiar, okay. but as soon as you I saw it. it but he makes a distinction between, I don't know if it's in that one or the other one. There's another one he wrote about the imagination where he makes a distinguish a, a distinction between fancy and imagination. Yeah, I remember you, uh, or at least I remember in the Meditations on the Terror conversation that that yeah. came from. Um, yeah, yeah, because I wondered if, if Michael Martin knew more about that because it was an idea that Coleridge came up with. Okay. Um, but McDonald kind of carries it along with this more theological approach, of course, right? Mm -hmm. But um, he um, he says that you should that you should discourage your children from fancy and direct them towards imagination because imagination is divine, whereas fancy is not, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know when you were telling that story. 
I was wondering how much of that is fancy and how much of it is imagination, right? Yeah. I mean, or in the same way, I was thinking back to the conversation that we had, because it's like, there is very much this fantasy that I could opt into as a young person because of my, it was it imagination or was it fancy it, it, to pretend that I was an animal, you, you know, and could participate in the life of, or the spirit of that animal, you know? Oh, actually, I think that is imagination. And maybe that is, but I was, I was sitting there trying to think about what is that, you know, and what's the difference? I, I, th- I think that that is, is childlikeness that George MacDonald so often talks about in his unspoken sermons. Um, okay. Um, because that is, that is like a full participation in being itself, right? Like you're, you're, con- you're, you're, you are whatever. Like I've always explained it as for a child, he is the tree, he is the water, he is the butterfly, he is the superhero, right? Or she. And, um, and when they, you know, when they build something, a little fort in the woods, it is the fortress and it is the castle and I am the princess and, right? There's a full participation in being. Yeah. That's what that is. And that to me, is divine imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think my computer is going to shut off. I'm going to grab my charger. <laughs> Can you say more about that a little bit? Then uh, what are they engaging in? So like pretending to be, um, so I guess, so you, you just mean like how little children play and they'll well, that pretend is to be animals. That is enchantment, right? Like that is the child in, in Fantasties who the shadow has not yet fallen across. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Of materialism, of reductionism, of, you know, there's nothing to stop that child from being exactly whatever it is he thinks he is, you know? He's magic, right? He can do anything. Yeah. yeah 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 and and um i mean i think luke and i talked about that last time we talked was how important it is to not let that child die like um like george mcdonald starts out his his unspoken sermons with a child in the mist right that's the very first i think that's the very first sermon isn't it yeah 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 i think you're right yeah because mm-hmm. yeah, the next one is the, the consuming fire i think right. or something like that yeah and i'm so, only two chapters in so yeah and and i think what's important to note about that because apparently he wrote them in in in, in a specific order right it's he's taking you on a journey and he starts you there with childlikeness um because jesus said and that's the verse he uses you know that you have to become like a little child, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that I think that that you know, like in, in that sermon, he has. Let's see if I can find the quote because it's it's also really really beautiful. Um, um, hang on a second. He talks about how a child loves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Oops. I know the keyword here. <laughs> Looking for it on my Kindle. Um, yeah, here it is. For when is the child the ideal child in our eyes and to our hearts? Is it not when with gentle hand he takes his father by the beard and turns that father's face up to his brothers and sisters to kiss? when even the lovely selfishness of love-seeking has vanished and the heart is absorbed in loving. In this, then, is God like the child, that he is simply and altogether our friend, our father, our more than friend, father, and mother, our infinite love-perfect God. I, you know, that, that, because what he ends up doing in that sermon is, is he doesn't just say that you have to become the child, but you have to become the child because God is the child. (laughs) And that's George's version of the simplicity of God, right? Of the singleness of God. And that's, that's why I say that a a child um, in, in, in that mode of imagination is, participating in being itself mm-hmm. then i guess i am still um curious how what would distinguish imagination from from fancy or what would be a good example of fancy um can i ask a question on top of that one that might be kind of related because when the, the question earlier was kind of engagement in the with with playing and even pretending to be like animals there's a there would be i think a distinction between how children will run around pretend they're dogs and like have a dog house and everything and then someone pretending to be a werewolf or something seems like one would be not good and the other would be is one fancy actually i don't think it has to do with that i don't think it has to do with good good or bad i think i think what it is is that uh, like in in his um, his other imagination imagination I think it's the other one imagination essay he talks about writing fairy tales and and how there is a law um, and the law the law the law says that you can't call good bad and you can't call bad good for example mm-hmm. um, and so when you when you break the law in the fairy tale you break the fairy tale. It, it's no longer a proper story, right? And and so my my um, best example for fancy is all the jackass stuff. Remember Jackass? Mm-hmm. I was just thinking of something similar, like the Saw right. movies. Like I don't know what movies. The Saw movies, like oh okay. I don't yeah. know. Like, like I never saw those, but I just remember when Jackass came out and my my teenage son was watching it, and I just I remember looking at it, going, "I'm sorry, but <laughs> right, like you're you're I don't know. It's walking on the edge of something. Like the, it's it's imaginative because they're putting themselves in these really imaginative situations, 
but they're not they're not for any anything of any value like i i don't even want to say that they were bad but but whatever it was that they did it was it was it, it had no you know what i mean yeah because i'm thinking about even like some um fantasy or even like i think game of thrones captivated the nation or what have you but there's a lot of that like there's so much filth in it as well that was like could have done without it you know and, and maybe maybe would have entered maybe would have kept me entertained even more i don't i may i don't know there's stuff like that where i'm like maybe that's but it, that's also me exercising judgment too so it's like i don't know yeah yeah there was this sorry at the part where you're mentioning like not calling something good and calling something bad when you i because i remember listening to your conversation with uh luke thompson right and yeah uh, i think he was in there yeah and jess yeah i haven't met jess yet but and i remember talking to my friend mitch about it later and we talked a little bit and then i was just thinking and i remember thinking about trying to remember if if jesus ever actually did that and for some reason, the passage that came to my head was like, even with Lazarus, when Lazarus died, um, he doesn't really make a judgment call. He doesn't say this is good or bad. It just says that he wept. And I was like, maybe that's the, the proper way to approach things. It's just, um, I don't I'm know sorry. what, I don't know whether they're, what? I said, that's it. I said that exact same thing. Like Jesus never defended anything. He never he never justified, he never, you know, like when, when, when he stood before Pilate, he had every right to defend himself as an innocent man, right? And he, and he chose not to. He chose to remain silent. Um, in the yeah. places where he wasn't silent, he often, I think, weeps, right? Yeah. Because like I might have the capability to recognize something as being sad extremely sad but if i don't see the whole story i can't necessarily say this is evil um, mm. so like lazarus dying it wasn't an evil that he died but it still was sad <laughs> i mean there was sorrow there i think um, so i don't mm. know but i don't know if that would pull that jack i don't know if the jackass thing would call it <laughs> you could look at me like oh this is sad <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I never spent a lot of time watching Jackass. I saw a few things my son would show me when he was a teenager when it first started, and I thought, these guys, why is why why is this so entertaining? Because mm. it's it it wasn't it wasn't doing anything. It wasn't. I think it appeals to the appetitive side of like human desire. I think like there you go. the contrary to like um, something that like it almost like a fleeting pleasure that like does not satisfy for very long. Right. You leaves you wanting more. Yeah. That sort of thing versus like the kind of like full satisfaction that comes from like I don't even know resolution or what have you. I don't know, um, but yeah, like desire that 
desire that doesn't have any lack or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's no further up and further in in jackass, right? <laughs> <laughs> I should go in your quote book. Guys, <laughs> saw that episode. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was always baffled, and I and, and my my instinct, <laughs> my instinct was <laughs> my <laughs> my instinct was I didn't want my son watching it, <laughs> and it wasn't because I thought it was vulgar or anything like that. It was because it was stupid and useless, and that to me is fancy, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm really trying to think if there what the if there is a utility for it because that seems that's that that's the very intent of it even with the title is just to be nothing. it's nothing it's it's the stupidity of it yeah yeah um but I'm trying to think if there's utility to that if there's still kind of um is there I mean I maybe, don't know maybe I should have watched more of it maybe I could have derived something philosophical from it no, yeah I don't know I uh, don't know. I'd be yeah, probably not. <sighs> man <laughs> boys will be boys whoa yeah it's definitely a boys thing yeah, we'll yeah. Stuff maybe, maybe maybe my response was more, more of a girl thing you know where i was just like yeah it's the it's desire to blow up your friends i feel like there's something there yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know what it, I don't know what it is but i, I sense it i yeah <laughs> yeah it's the same thing that makes like why do you want to stick your friend's hand in a cup of water while he's sleeping to make him wet the bed you know it's like but you want to but at the same time it's cruel it's, yeah yeah it's not nice at all but but it's still kind of funny there might be a further up but a further in <laughs> just we just need to pursue it <laughs> Dude, what's the tell us of jackass? <laughs> Bedwetting. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> yeah, that's something I could never engage in, actually. So maybe <laughs> my personality, like I just could be cruel. Anything. Yeah. I just I engage in cruelty, you know, at all. I remember visiting my grandmother and walking down the road there's a bunch of boys and they were catching bullfrogs and smashing their heads against rocks just one after the other and it was traumatized me yeah literally yeah. traumatized me i could it wasn't the blood or the guts it was the absolute cruelty mm -hmm. and that thrill that they were getting out of doing this you know yeah yeah it's brutal yeah, that's right. But then at the same time, you can participate in a violent act in a, because it, some, in a mercy, you know, like, for instance, my cat catches dead birds, or I mean, catches birds and torches them until they're near death all the time. And she did that uh, just the other day. And I have become accustomed to having to put these small sparrows, nut hatches, whatever. And it's- oh, yeah she got a match the other day and it was just like this is a 
in a weird way, I was like, I was actually able to hold this bird that I've been looking at for months on end in the palm of my hand and study it, you know, but it was like, you know, at the same time it needed to, I'm putting this animal out of mis out of its misery. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. that, that whole side of it where, yeah, um, the life, the life of, I don't know. I know I had a, I had a cat. That's cruel yeah but that's not cruel that's a mercy yeah you know i remember coming stepping out the front door one day and i saw this half-eaten chipmunk or squirrel laying at the door you know and i was like oh and then it blinked and i was like no it's alive the whole back end of it was eaten and i had to take a two by four you know and and you know it was brutal <laughs> That's the quickest way though you know and it seems like literally yeah. almost the worst way to go out in the most immediate way <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, yeah. i'm not going to torture this bird any more than it needs to be tortured so i'm going to do the two by four you know what you're saying mm -hmm. so yeah make it quick yeah yeah <laughs> do we want to end on that note <laughs> i mean oh. i feel like we should wrap this back into something else Church. yeah no just we can end it there's the moon out in tennessee also didn't we just have a blood moon yeah oh there goes my dog ember <laughs> <laughs> Chill. So do you, do you guys have a blood moon? I didn't see a blood moon, but I saw someone well, we post one in a Discord. It was just a full moon yeah. or lunar eclipse. It was a lunar eclipse, what? but we didn't, we didn't see it because it was super cloudy here. So oh. it was like nothing happened at all. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if the moon's out right now. I'm outside. I can go. You probably look. don't have a moon tonight, right? If you had a full moon last. Well, I mean, sometimes it depends on the cycle, but. Sometimes it, there's no moon right away, and sometimes there's a moon for a couple of days after moon, but it, it just comes a bit later. Oh my goodness, I don't see a moon. Does I never knew it went to, it goes to a new moon right after a full moon? Sometimes, sometimes mm -hmm. it does. And then you have these pitch dark nights and I hate those nights. <laughs> I don't see her at all. That's so weird. I didn't know it did that or she did that. Yeah, it'll come up later though. And it'll be full still. It's mm. a leader. Tricky moon. What's she doing? Yeah. 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 I was funny, funny said that she's feminine, but we say there's a man in the moon, right? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> a little bit of blue. What do yeah. you, what is that? Well, you can see it, you can see the face, right? Those craters, and people oh. call that the man on the moon or the man in the moon. But ah. and what about the cow that jumped over it? <laughs> I don't know. Say more about um, that. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that because oh, it's cheese? The, the cow it's jumped right. over the moon. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the rhyme, but I have no idea what that why that's a thing. Neither do actually, I. Actually, I actually wrote a poem about a moon. Let's hear it. Did you just you reminded me of it? You want me to read it? Yeah, yes. that'd be great. It's, after, it's actually kind of a rhymy one, so it's fun. 
Upon rising this evening, I went to my window. Oh, what did, oh, what my eyes did see. Darkening slowly, the clouds slithered by, the pines whispering secrets to me. I looked past, I looked past a branch where a little bird sat. I looked past barns and poplar tree. Over the hill yawns the great abyss. I feel something beckoning me. A raven sits carelessly pruning his plume. His eyes wander aimlessly round. Startled, he suddenly takes into flight. Now circling shadows surround. I hear his great wings as he passes me by. I hear them inside of my room, his throaty cry in the dimming light on the eve of the fullest moon. His cackling laughter is filling the night. It rumbles the stars in my sky. Everything falls like the tear on my cheek, all of me questioning why. Away, be gone, you devious bird, shaking my fist to the sky. Only a moment ago, I was glad. Now for a moment, I die. Given a soul, given a life. Now it's a pound of flesh. Thinking at last I have built it, finding I've only regressed. So now I join with the raven in a plaintive cry to the moon. I'll fly away with this bird as the dish ran away with the spoon. <laughs> That's really good. I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read that again. That would be awesome if you could send that along too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you that. Yeah. I wrote that poem, a little, a little personal information, when I found out that I was pregnant for my daughter at the age of 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was that was fun news. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Fun news. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Go figure, right? Mm-hmm. What kind of dog do you have, Luke? It's a boy or girl? It's a girl. And I believe she is a, well, we did one of the Jeff Bezos Amazon dog blood sample. So, you know, whatever, whatever they have determined via the Amazon. <laughs> DNA test? DNA test. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> Any, uh, but <laughs> Bezos came to your house and yeah, yeah. Your dog and <laughs> yeah, extracted <laughs> some some blood, but it's she's a beagle and black lab and Staffordshire Terrier. Oh wow! Whip it and supposedly she sounds uh, schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, oh, and she's very psycho. And we live in an urban environment, and so like people walk up and down the sidewalk you know it's no problem even at midnight you know 12 o'clock at night yeah 10 feet away walking past my house and you know the she'll light up every single time and and just scared scared the living daylights out of people but she's a good alarm to have yeah totally yeah 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 wow
Well, you know, we should do a Lilith round if you if you read <laughs> Lilith. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on it. Maybe I'll listen to it. That seems to be maybe more accessible. And so we'll, we'll try that. But I know I'll be missing out on actually reading it aloud. Well, that's how I got Fantastics in. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I just, I can't sit there and read a book. It's impossible. I have to it's, go do something. It's very difficult for me too. Mm-hmm. So, and just finding time. I wish I could, like the days, I remember the days where I just laid in my bed and hunkered down and read a book, and, you know, but those days are yeah. long gone. Yeah, I would, my favorite was to read to myself aloud and mm. to have the auditory and the, you know, articulation that that that's I can retain that sort of information so the books that I've read in that manner are the books that have stuck with me in a more you know I actually I actually have Fantasties in on Audible I have it on my Kindle and I have a hard copy and I often will read along while I listen okay yeah yeah and I used to read aloud and I do read aloud yeah. to myself for that same reason. And I loved reading to my kids. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Like I could hardly wait till bedtime. <laughs> There's only like three words on the pages I'm currently reading to my <laughs> Once we get into some bigger books. So. <laughs> but my kids, well, my son in particular, he, he just, he ran with it and he was like he didn't want me reading to him anymore he was reading books like they were potato chips you know done done you know and he started young um i think he read all of the lord of the rings when he was 12 like just turned 12. i remember he he brought them back to us well we were living in telegraph creek then and we had lots of books you know, and I had these like books for that age. Like he was like nine, nine to 11 or nine to 12 when we lived there, nine to 11. So he wasn't quite 12. And anyway, he had read all his books and all the books of his friends. And, you know, he goes, I don't have anything left to read, you know? And so I said, well, I've got one here, but I don't think you're going to get it. And I handed him Lord of the Rings. And two weeks later, so he used to read these, these kids books, like within a day, you know, but two weeks later, he came back and he said, I'm done. And my husband and I were like, no way, you're not done that. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm done. We're like, okay, wait, sit down. And we quizzed him, eh? we're quizzing him. And he's getting all the answers right. We're like, okay, well, here's the second one. Two weeks later, I'm done. And the third one, two weeks later. And he brought me the third one back. Cause I said, this is the last one. And he handed it to me and he was really sad. He goes, I'm sad mom. And I said, why? And he said, because I'll never be able to read another book again. Nothing will be better than these books. So he said, <laughs> I felt sorry for him. <laughs> I, I know like, that I this to him at that young age. Yeah. Should have waited, you know? Though that may wow. not be true. I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was devastated because he he just read the best books ever and nothing would compare to it 
Yeah. So do you like um I I never read as a child. I, the only thing I ever read was Calvin Hobbes till like a few years ago. So I've never actually read um I've only seen the movies of Lord of the Rings and uh Oh man, yeah, the Nar- Narnia books. Are they better? Do you like them better than George MacDonald or are they just kind of different category or something? Well, I, I the Lord of the Rings, I mean the thing is when you've seen the movies, it's almost ruins the books oh, oh no. <laughs> but you might be able to you might be able to just do it you know just read the books but the books are amazing I went to see the movies and it's kind of like fantastic you know like you don't want that made into a movie right yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah that makes there's sense. a copy oh she's <laughs> <laughs> are you shy <laughs> What's her name? Yeah. Ember. Ember. She's really shiny. Yeah, she is. Short hair. Maybe she's greasy. Who knows? <laughs> no, she's beautiful. Yeah, she's a good dog. How old is she? Year and a half. Oh, okay. Still yeah. puppy. Still very much puppy. This is my yeah. dog too. Did you have her as a as a puppy? Got her when she was little or uh yeah yeah she i think she was only like eight weeks old or so oh, wow we got her wow. and then yeah it was my first dog um my sister was allergic to all furry creatures growing up so oh. i only had like i had a room full of terrariums and stuff and like lots yeah. of lots of lizards and snakes <laughs> and stuff like that but no <laughs> no furry yeah. things no furry things until this this dog came well i had a couple cats in college and then cats. yeah i i didn't think i would ever be a dog person but oh wow yeah. i think my my dog I, i've said this multiple times before but i think my dog taught me more about following god than any christian i've ever met it's really sad. You know, but... I haven't finished reading it yet, but I did start it. Um, of all people, David Bentley Hart, <laughs> look at her. <laughs> David Bentley Hart wrote a book called Roland in Moonlight. And it's, have you read it, Luke? No, I've heard the title though. Oh, I started it and, and uh, yeah, I need to finish it. But it's, it's, his dog is this like philosophical theologian you know talking to him about things that's the whole yeah. story yeah they'll do that and, it's and weird it's his real dog like he has a dog named roland right and and his real dog's picture is on the front of the book it yeah if you love dogs you should read roland in moonlight all right sure put it on the that's list, cool. put it on the list yeah. two weeks you gotta get back to her <laughs> <laughs> I gotta read Lilith in two weeks. Wow. I haven't even read it myself. I have to finish it too. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna sign off. But I understand. Yeah. yeah, I do the same time to thank, go to bed. Thank you guys yeah. so much for this, by the way, for including me in this. this is a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it was great. I'm no, you're the one who brought who brought us who brought us into this. This is I knew it'd be fun. I knew it'd be great. Yeah. Very, very enjoyable. Yeah, Yeah, really. Yeah. Let's do it again soon, whenever you guys want. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Y'all have a good night. You yeah, too. You too. Bye, guys. Bye.